first thing is an acknowledgement that your confidence is going to wax and wane. And I can't beat myself up in the moments when I feel like I'm losing my confidence because that only creates less confidence. It takes away from you. If you are beating yourself up as you're losing confidence saying, man, I should be more confident, then of course you're going to deplete it even faster. As a daily practice, my morning and evening are the most important moments of my day to maintain that level of confidence understanding that there's going to be website hacks. There's going to be weeks where the download numbers aren't where you want them. There's going to be weeks where you don't convert as many sales or you don't bring on as many clients. That happens. Life happens and it doesn't always happen in the positive. But I don't want that to extend from one bad day to two bad days to a bad week. And the way that I do that is I start my day by setting the intention where as I put my feet on the floor, as I'm getting out of bed, I say today is going to be awesome. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest on the show is relationship expert AJ Harbinger, who is also the co-host of the highly popular podcast, The Art of Charm, which has over 200 million downloads. And AJ has helped thousands of men and women from all around the world overcome social anxiety, master conversation, develop social capital, and build genuine relationships of the highest quality. But like many, success did not come easy for AJ. Identifying as an introvert when he was younger and growing up without a mother, it quickly ignited some insecurities, pain, and anxiety, and he struggled socially in school. So as you can imagine, he felt a bit lost as a young adult, and he ended up taking a sabbatical after he finished his undergrad for some self-discovery. He was encouraged to get a job by his father to stay motivated, so he decided to take a job at a research lab And after having a research project go sideways unexpectedly, he was forced to make a decision. He could either continue down the path of disappointment or take a chance on himself to do something that would help him and others find fulfillment long term. On a mission to develop and cultivate true social skills and confidence, he co-founded The Art of Charm almost 15 years ago. This, of course, didn't come without challenges as his father passed away shortly after, whom he was incredibly close to, and his father doubted his ability to make it in the podcast world. He shares his incredible story of overcoming all of these hardships that came along before and after starting the podcast, and of course, we chat about social skills. And listen, developing confidence, emotional intelligence, and relationships are tough and take hard work, but it can be done, and there is an art in doing this. And you are going to learn tactical skills that you can apply right now to ensure that you are doing everything you can to improve your self-worth, build deep connections, and of course, charm. So let's get this conversation going and welcome AJ Harbinger to the Adversity Advantage podcast. AJ, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. And I I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation on the art of charm. And I love what you all are about, what you were doing. And one of the things we were chatting before we recorded that's incredibly inspiring is, yeah, if you look at on paper and on the surface today, you all have a show that's been going on for what, about a decade. 
200 million plus downloads. You've interviewed people like the late Kobe Bryant, Tim Ferriss, Guy Raz, so many other inspiring people, but it didn't just start there. It's not like you went to school for media. It's not like you were some crazy established writer or journalist and had all these connections. The person that would look at the way you grew up, they were like, there's no way that this guy ends up going from how he grew up to becoming the, the host of one of, one of the most notable podcasts in the world. So talk a bit about your upbringing, growing up with a single parent in your home, how that affected your mental health and what you went through, and then how you pivoted that adversity into something positive to help so many people. Thank you for that introduction. At times, I have to pinch myself. I can't believe that I get to live this dream of a life, and it certainly did not start out that way. Growing up, my parents got divorced at a very young age. I was in the second grade. And my mom, unfortunately, was an addict and abusive. So my dad won sole custody of me and my sister. And in the 80s, early 80s, especially, you didn't see very many parents being divorced and the, the father, the single father getting sole custody. Right. So my childhood, I struggled quite a bit with just having a single dad, not having a mom present in my life. And one of my first childhood memories was even in class when the teacher was handing out permission slips for an upcoming field trip. And she said, make sure your mom signs the form so you can go on the field trip. And I had one of those desks that had a lid and you would put all of your belongings in. And I lifted the lid up. I just put my head in the desk and I started crying because I didn't have a mom at home to take the permission slip home to. So that led to me really withdrawing from socializing. I, I felt like an outcast in grade school in middle school. And my dad was fairly introverted to begin with. So he didn't have a very vibrant social life. It's not like he had a lot of friends. And just through his friends, I was able to make some childhood friends. So that lack of socialization and feeling withdrawn really impacted my confidence going into high school. And I had some bad acne and, and really struggled to relate on the dating front. Thankfully, my sister being two years younger was a huge influence in, in my life, at least learning how to speak to women and spending a lot of time around her friends and, and being accepted by her social group. And she is very extroverted. So I kind of relied on her as almost like a wing woman, so to speak, uh -huh. uh, in high school to, to get my dating life in order. But I, I did struggle to really connect and build long-term friendships. When I got to college, that's when I really realized that this lack of social skills was starting to impact my future and, and my goals and aspirations for myself. Of course, going away to school, you have to make friends, you have to join clubs. And I just didn't really feel like I had the social skills to just walk up to anyone and, and strike up a conversation, let alone become friends with them. And of course, I wasn't playing sports in college. So I didn't have a lot of those opportunities to socialize that you do in high school, playing football and tennis and basketball. So as I started my college career, I felt kind of lost and adrift. And I really just wanted to make my dad proud. So I started a journey in pre-med. And that journey, of course, led to considering graduate school. And when I was graduating with a bachelor's in science, my dad was really pushing hard for me to go to med school. But I had felt at that point that I really was making choices for him, not for me, my own happiness. And I asked if I could take a year off, if he would be okay with that for me to sort of find myself and travel a bit and, and figure out what I truly want to do with my life. And of course, being a, a blue collar dad, he said, well, get a job. I'm not going to pay for you to hang out for a year and figure out who you are. And with a biology degree, the only job that I could really get that was decent paying was in a lab. So I was doing cancer biology research out of college. 
And that's what really piqued my interest in a PhD program and doing research full time. It was an opportunity for me to get absorbed in science. I didn't have to socialize. The lab was all built around animal models. So I was spending a lot of time working with mice, developing out various models of cancer development and treatment. And that period was incredibly exciting and fun for me because I felt like finally all this education that I had worked on to make my dad proud was actually clicking. And we went to publish our results. And this was really the first time in my life I saw firsthand the the impact of relationships on your career. As we were going to publish our results, we were a very small lab at the University of Michigan. We didn't have a world-renowned faculty at that time working on this project. And we ended up being scooped by a research group at Stanford, meaning they did the same research. They were a high-powered, famous lab. They were going to publish their results. And although they had fewer results, they had the credibility and they had the relationships to get a high tier journal publication. So my boss was scrambling because this paper was going to impact his career. The results were very important to him. So he decided to team up with Stanford. And when he teamed up with Stanford, my name was bumped down the paper in terms of authors. So all this hard work that I had put into this project to make my dad proud to be a published author got washed away because a high powered lab, with the connections, with the relationships, got to take all of the credit. That was really disheartening for me because I had grown up really thinking that if I just worked hard, if I kept my nose to the grindstone, I got the results, I would get the credit, I would get success ultimately. And I realized that that's really not how life works. It's a lot more about who than it is about the actual results, certainly when it comes to publishing papers. So that sent me on a bit of a tailspin confidence-wise. I felt really down on myself. How could I do all this hard work, not be recognized? And why is it that it's so easy for other people to make these connections and feel connected to people and and have solid relationships? And that really is what started the self-exploration around how do I build relationships? How am I better romantically, socially, and professionally to get more out of life? And that was the impetus to starting the podcast in my basement on a lark in Ann Arbor almost 15 years ago now. And of course, back then, no one was podcasting. It's uh, changed quite a bit, as we've seen over the years. So telling my dad that I was dropping out of graduate school to pursue a podcast and a coaching company around social skills, he thought I was absolutely insane. Certainly knowing how introverted I was, he didn't think it would be a, a path to success. So that's really how my, my journey started and trying to learn more about how to relate to people and, and also how to grow my own confidence and self-esteem. Wow, that's incredibly fascinating. And it's it's funny just from hearing what you shared about your journey, you mentioned that you were trying to prove yourself, right? Prove yourself to your dad, probably prove yourself to your mom. Probably you were trying to find yourself because there was some sense, there was something missing. It seemed like inside of you, I'm sure that you were trying to fill with success in your career with, I'm sure trying to pursue out relationships or discover who the real you was because that part of you was gone. And and I know for me growing up in a divorced home and when your parents split, especially I was like, I was, when we were texting yesterday, I said, my parents split when I was five, which is like 92. There weren't a lot of kids whose parents were getting divorced, right? The divorce rate didn't seem to really spike, at least in my understanding, just up until it was maybe like a few years ago when it started really going up. And it's funny that you took your desire to want to prove yourself. And you went head on into the PhD program, into research. And because you took the approach that wasn't truly aligned with you and you were doing it for the wrong reasons, 
you face plant, right? You do all this hard work and you end up at the end, like getting, getting ready to get to the finish line, but you stumble because you weren't running your race, right? You were running someone else's race and you couldn't finish. And I want to get into the part about how you started the art of charm, uh, what that looked like back when podcasting wasn't even a thing. But first, I want to get into your insight because I know you guys talk a lot about this, about being authentic, being real, being like yourself so that you can thrive in relationships, so that you can thrive professionally. And you hear a lot of people, man, that they try to run someone else's race. They might see a podcast and even though they have no true desire to really want a podcast, they think it's the cool thing to do. So they'll try and podcast and they'll end up starting it and then they go with it. And because that's not their purpose and they're not truly connected to it, they experience trials, tribulations at the beginning, which we all do. And then they want to quit because it's not something they're truly called to do. So what advice do you have for somebody who's in that spot? Um, that's maybe thinking about doing something for the wrong reason. Like what advice do you have for that person so that they can shift their mindset to actually chase what they truly want? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one that over the years I've heard from a lot of people who are trying to start out in the space, whether it's just being an influencer or grow a podcast or grow a show and create content. And that was never our intention. It started right. out as a hobby and it was something that we were passionate about in terms of just having conversations with people about how to build better relationships. And my co-host at the time when we started the show, he was finishing up graduate school as well. And we were both sort of realizing the importance of relationships. And we looked at the podcast space as an opportunity to leverage these conversations, to build relationships, to open doors for us and grow our network, which of course it has in, in spades over the last decade. But starting out for us, it was something that we were passionate about doing. So hitting record and doing the editing was not a drag. It was an outlet for us outside of our graduate school work, which we hated at that point because we were both running someone else's race. I think the important thing to realize when you're starting out is the impact that consistency and longevity have in this. And I know Gary Vee talks about this. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And when you really think about it as a marathon, you start to realign your values and say, is this something that I could see myself doing four years, five years, 10 years from now? Am I still going to be just as excited to hit record? And I can tell you that we are. And that's allowed us an opportunity to obviously, as you said earlier, talk to amazing people and have great conversations and access that we never would have had just based out of where we grew up in Michigan. But that said, it took years of weekly shows every single week we had a show come out and, and our audience was able to grow because of that consistency and follow through. So look at any venture that you start and ask yourself, how am I going to feel about this 10 days from now? How am I going to feel about this 10 months from now? How am I going to feel about this 10 years from now? And if the answer is yes, excited, pumped, 10 months, 10 years later, then you've hit a gold mine. You've hit something that you're going to have the passion, the motivation, and the drive to fulfill. But if you're looking at, well, a year from now, I want to eclipse someone else. I want to have more followers. I want to have more downloads. I want more fame. It's going to be a, a much more arduous battle for you to succeed because of just how competitive the space is and how much passion is pouring in to influencing and podcasting and coaching. You're so right. And I think that goes with anything. I think if you are focusing on the things that you can't control, such as what, how much money someone else makes or how many followers they have or what their profession is or who they're dating, 
you're going to lose every single time because all of your energy is being put into what other people are doing, what other people want, their goals, their livelihood, and not your own. And I always say, if we could just put half, like just put half of our energy into focusing on ourselves that we do focusing on everyone else, think about how successful we would be, right? If instead of spending two hours a day scrolling on social media, you take an hour of that time and create some amazing content to engage your current following or inspire your friends or what have you, like, what will your life look like? If you could take that two, three hours a day that you spend possibly complaining to people about why you're not successful in life or how somebody else has it better than you and took half that time and wrote down some goals that were attainable and achievable and started working towards those, what would your life look like? And I see it time and time again in the fitness space with people wanting to just get these quick results. They want to take a magic pill. They want to go on some diet. They want to eat a magic food that's going to help get them that magic weight loss. And we know time and time again that health is a marathon too. It's every day putting in the reps and building equity in that fitness bank, in that health bank, in that nutrition bank so that you can feel better as a whole. And the one thing I wanted to kind of dive into from your story as well is you talked about your your mom not being in the picture and which is very, I think that's even more uncommon, I think, than having just your mom around. I think from my experience, my understanding, you typically hear that the dad leaves. Again, not to stigmatize or judge anything. That's just what I understand from statistics and what I have observed. What kind of struggles did you face without having your mom around? Was there ever this sense of what's wrong with me? Was there any depression or anxiety, mental health? I mean, did you ever turn to addiction? Was that ever an issue for you? Yeah, certainly. Uh, all of the above. One of the biggest problems that I, I feel I, I had growing up was just not good, healthy relationships around me to role model. And with my dad and my mom splitting, and then my dad going through essentially single fatherhood alone in that he needed to raise two kids, he threw everything he had at his blue collar work life, didn't make time for other women to come in. He wasn't really dating. He socialized a little bit, but he didn't have this very vast friend group. So because of that, I didn't really get much experience around what a healthy relationship looks and feels like. Mm. And that certainly led to a lot of anxiety around something wrong with me. Why am I not able to maintain relationships and find the women that I'm most interested in? And of course, that was a, a main driver of starting the Art of Charm podcast in the beginning. And on top of that, once I lost athletics, I fell into some negative influences of guys around me who were into drugs and drinking and substance abuse. So that really appeared on the scene for me in college. And unfortunately, after college, my dad passed away. And with his passing and, and feeling like I had never lived up to his dreams for me, that sent me on a dark, depressing backslide and, and a loss of confidence, even while I was running the podcast and, and coaching clients. And I, I tried my best to hide that from people. I think certainly my closest friends and some of our clients picked up on AJ being in a dark place, but my dad was my rock. My dad was my best friend. And in losing him and, and watching his battle with substance abuse, I, I really felt lost. And I felt that I was never going to make up for that lost time that I had sacrificed starting the Art of Charm, moving away from my family. So 
it's been a, a long up and down battle for sure. And I totally understand with that perspective of, man, what are the advantages and disadvantages that go along with this? What I have continued to look to is the support of my extended family and, and they really stepped up and in my father's passing, aunts and uncles stepped up as well. So I've been fortunate in that way, but I think from a young age, just not having healthy relationships to really model impacted my development in that area and why I so passionately pursued learning more about relationships, human psychology, and how to find the right partner. And that's been a big part of my journey, uh, seeing what picking the wrong partner did to my dad's life and my family. A hundred percent, man. And you hear a lot that your past can either bring you down and haunt you, or it can fuel you and become your purpose, right? I think it's funny that a lot of times we, we're in this dark moments of life, we're in the pain, we're in the, you know, the trials, and we're, we're hopeless at those moments, right? We feel like we have no way out. And many of us, like myself, you turn to drugs, turn to alcohol, t- turn to vanity, sex, money, uh, fame, you name it, to try to hide and sock away these problems. And that just kind of kicks the can further down the road. And it makes our problems worse because we never really deal with the root of the problem. And with that being said, what ends up happening, at least in my experience and what I've seen from others, is those problems bleed out in other areas of your life unconsciously, right? Because if we, we bury it deep enough and we keep moving on and we move on to the next thing, whether it's that next podcast or the next coaching program or the next relationship, it becomes our new normal that that is buried down inside of us, right? And we wonder why some relationships don't work out. We wonder why we snap at the, the littlest thing, or we wonder why we maybe have moments where we are fearful more often or less confident. And it's not really until we do the deeper work sometimes and look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what, like, wow, this is where it's coming from, that you have survived a lot. You, your mom leaves when you're a kid, you bury your dad when you just graduate college, and that would be traumatic in and of itself for anyone, let alone the fact that you pivoted out of a, I don't want to say like a guaranteed nice life where having a PhD, a PhD program that you had done and having the education that you had in college would have gotten you, you know, a nice income. You probably could have lived a nice, comfortable life. You just said, you know what, I'm going to start a podcast in a time where no one was starting a podcast. And I think what becomes really interesting though, and this is what I wanted to hit home on, is that the problems we have or go through, we end up solving them ourselves and helping other people provide solutions to those exact same problems. And it all comes back full circle. So bring it all back to the art of charm, because I know what you all are known for is providing the utmost, um, highest end, the best relationship advice there is, the best advice on connections, conversation so that people can be their best self when it comes to who they are personally and professionally. What are the types of things you started doing to cultivate confidence within yourself when you started the show so that you could help yourself, your listeners, and the people you started coaching? Yeah, I think number one, I agree wholeheartedly that is so easy for us to choose the victim route and feel all the pain and the hurt that's been thrown our way. The harder part is how do we turn that into not only changing our lives, but others. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the ultimate fulfillment for me has come 
in all of this is having an opportunity to have the conversations that I wish I heard 10, 15 years ago to impact my life with the guests that we have and the way that we've built the show and, and who we invite on and the conversations that we have are those conversations that still impact me today. Like that's what fires me up is, is having an amazing conversation that I know not only has influenced me, but has, has had an influence on our audience. And that's what really what we strive to do. On the confidence front, very early on in the show's history, obviously with it being a hobby and something that we were passionate about, we really made it a focal point to celebrate all the small victories along the way. Our first big guest, our first big download. Do you remember who your first big guest was yeah. looking back? Yeah. So my dad gave me a, a lot of grief over the podcast, as you can imagine. And we would end up recording the podcast pretty late at night because we were both in graduate school and, and very busy with our day jobs. So in that way, we would record, it'd be like midnight, almost 1am. And then we would have a nightcap and we'd throw on the TV. And at that point, Dog the Bounty Hunter was just massive. And we would end up just leaving his show on and, and talking about the podcast that we had just recorded. And then I found out that my dad was a, a fan of Dog the Bounty Hunter just randomly in conversation. So we thought, man, that'd be really fun if we reached out to Dog and, and try to get him on the podcast. And sure enough, we called his bail bonds location in Hawaii and his wife picked up and we begged her for 20 minutes. We were live recording this whole thing. They, they were unaware and dog hopped on and we had a great conversation with him. It was fairly brief. And then I sent it to my dad to show him, hey, this, this hobby that I'm spending all this time on that I'm talking about constantly for you, like, look at what I was able to do. I was able to get dog on. And my dad found that to be interesting, but not in any way a guaranteed success. So he, of course, kept pushing me to, to stick with the grad school route. But that was the first like big get for us. Like, wow, okay, if we really knock on every door, we send as many emails as possible, we can get some people on this show to help grow the thing. And then it became clear that we were seeking advice ourselves when it came to socializing and certainly dating. So we started bringing on dating experts, relationship experts to learn from them and have really frank, honest conversations with them. And I think that really built a tremendous relationship with our audience that we were not coming at this of trying to sell them something at the start or saying that we're some experts or we know everything. We were really recording as students ourselves, trying to learn more about these relationships that we had all struggled with. So I think that really created a connection with the audience. And, and the coaching program started years after the podcast, when our listeners said, hey, we want to learn from you. That's when we realized, hey, there's an opportunity here for us to maybe even quit our day job. So that was an exciting, exciting moment to have gone from just recording in my basement, watching dog on TV to actually having him on the show. <laughs> Funny enough. That's awesome. And yeah, it's, man, it's really ballsy too. I think that you do it like live on the show. It's one thing I think when you're just emailing somebody and you're hoping to get on a show or get them on your show and you're like, yes, I got them. They just replied back. They scheduled something. It's another thing to actually have a conversation with their team live while you're recording and being like, all right, it's going to go one of two ways. We're going to either look really good and look like heroes. Like these guys have the best, like they're really practicing what they preach with confidence and going after what you want. Or we're going to look, I mean, I don't want to say you look bad because I mean, every failure I think leads you to something else, but it, it, you still kind of feel bad because you're like, dang, you have this huge letdown where you were, you know, chasing some opportunity 
and it didn't end up working out. And I cannot emphasize enough. You hit on something, the, the importance of celebrating small wins. And I think if more people focused on the things that they have accomplished, that they do have in their life, that they have been able to do, they would feel a lot better about themselves. They'd feel more confident uh, about who they're going to be. Because let's face it, to me, like if somebody's like, what do you think it takes to be confident? Well, in the simplest form in my own understanding, in my own definition, it's doing the small things uh, daily that you feel are necessary to better yourself consistently, right? And I think what tends to happen, man, is that so many people focus like on what they want two, three, four, five years from now, because we live in a society where you're taught set five-year goals, set 10-year goals. This is who you have to be when you're 30, 40, 50. It's all well and good. I do believe you have to have some long-term goals, but there's not one person who sets and achieves those long-term goals that has made it, that hasn't done the things daily to get there. It all starts with those daily wins. And I think that if people could just really pay attention to saying, hey, like this is what I want to accomplish in the next six months, in the next year, in the next 90 days, whatever it is. But in that same breath, I'm going to write down the things that I have already accomplished for myself in the last six months, the last year, the last 90 days, so that it can give yourself the confidence of knowing that you can set and achieve things. And what happens is people don't do that second part. Most people will set the goals and they'll look at them and some of them seem insurmountable. They're like, how am I going to get there? But if they had looked and said, oh, like I've gotten this far by accomplishing these things, it'll trigger something in their brain to feel better about where they're going and then move towards it. So what are some of the things that you do like personally as the guy who is the, the expert on confidence, who preaches about it on the show and through your coaching, what are the things that you do every single day? If there were like three things that are non-negotiable for you to get yourself feeling good. Yeah. And it's important that we look at this as a daily practice. We use the metaphor that your confidence is like a skyscraper. And many people, when they think about building confidence, they think it's just, you only have to build it once and then it's just there and you have it the rest of your life. It doesn't work that way. Talk to any landlord, talk to anyone who owns real estate and you know that even after that building is built, you got to clean the windows, you got to clean the gutters, you have to do maintenance to keep that building standing because the harshness of the environment around it is going to wear that building down. Your confidence is the same way. So the first thing is an acknowledgement that your confidence is going to wax and wane. And I can't beat myself up in the moments when I feel like I'm losing my confidence because that only creates less confidence. It takes away from you. If you are beating yourself up as you're losing confidence saying, man, I should be more confident, then of course you're going to deplete it even faster. As a daily practice, my morning and evening are the most important moments of my day to maintain that level of confidence. Understanding that as we were talking about to start the show, there's going to be website hacks. There's going to be weeks where the download numbers aren't where you want them. There's going to be weeks where you don't convert as many sales or you don't bring on as many clients. That happens. Life happens and it doesn't always happen in the positive. But I don't want that to extend from one bad day to two bad days to a bad week to a bad month to a bad quarter. And the way that I do that is I start my day by setting the intention. And BJ Fogg talks about this. It's his Maui habit where as I put my feet on the floor, as I'm getting out of bed, I say today is going to be awesome. I say it out loud and I say it to myself. So that I'm starting out with a positive view of the day. I'm not starting out in my inbox. I'm not starting out thinking about all the things that went wrong yesterday. 
I'm stating that today is going to be awesome. That is how I set my tone for the day. And then I end the day in gratitude. And I do this moment with my fiance, Amy, where we share what we're grateful for that day. Some days it's tremendous. We landed a big client. We had an amazing coaching program finalized. Those are huge wins. But some days I'm just grateful for being healthy in a pandemic, having a roof over my head. When I see other business owners really struggling to keep their business afloat, I'm grateful that I still can do this job every day. Those two practices, setting my morning upright and ending my day in gratitude, keep me from having three, four, five bad days in a row. The last practice that I have is I know that if I dwell on things or if I focus on myself, it's very easy for me to get into my inner critic and let him drive the car. So what do I do? I put him in the passenger seat by reaching out to people in my life that I care about and, and listening to them and being of service or being helpful to them and being grateful and appreciative of having them in my life. I honor that relationship and I put focus on the other person. That quiets my inner critic. So he's not driving the car. He's a passenger on this journey. I find that those practices, and again, we've had so many successful people on the show They talk about these same practices and routines that they have to manage that mental state. Because really, the difference between success and lack of success is between your ears. We're all given the same amount of time. We're all given strengths and weaknesses. Maximizing your strengths requires mental fortitude and the right viewpoint. So that's how I work to craft a proper viewpoint to take on big challenges or small challenges and setbacks. We've all faced them this year. I could go through a laundry list of my own setbacks, but those setbacks should not dictate my week. They should not dictate my month. And I certainly don't want them to become my year. Yeah, you're so spot on. And you hear a lot about people, they talk about stacking days. Like if you want to lose weight, for instance, let's use this because it's pretty easy, I think, an easy analogy. If you you know, are in a caloric def- deficit, you move your body, you drink enough water, you get enough sleep, you eat enough fruits and vegetables, you lift weights, whatever, for a certain amount of time, overall, every single day, if you do that, you'll probably get in a lot better shape than when you started, right? But the opposite can happen. If you're somebody that you say you get into like a, a traffic jam and somebody cuts you off and then you get triggered and then you can't manage your emotions in that time, you get home, you end up turning to that glass of wine, that one glass of wine becomes two, becomes three. Sure enough, you maybe get into an argument you might not have gotten into with your kids or your spouse because you're under the influence of alcohol. And then that carries on to the next day. And now you're potentially now fighting with your spouse. And then that might stress you out. So now you drink even more and you can see where I'm going with this. And then you sure enough, you look back and you've been drinking every day for two weeks hadn't had this conversation that you should have had right away with your spouse after snapping on whoever it was for for you being stressed out or looking to see like what triggered you in that moment, how you can address it and rewire your pattern so that it doesn't happen again. And then you look back and you're like, man, like, why am I so depressed? Like, why is everybody angry at me? Why is my performance at work suffering? Why have I put on a few pounds? Why am I feeling so crummy about myself? Like, why? And people don't realize that it was because of how they responded to that one moment. They didn't manage that inner critic. It's not the adversity that breaks people. It's how we respond to it. You see it all the time. You see somebody lose a job. And because they couldn't manage that moment or that setback, they end up turning things like drugs, drinking. Maybe they go cheat on their spouse to get some sort of affirmation or validation or whatever the case may be. 
And because they couldn't manage that bad moment, they created some bad days, bad weeks, bad years. And I think that, that life is a dance. There's many dances in life. I think one of the big ones is managing the ups and the downs, right? I think the more you can be humble when things are really good and just staying true to what you do every single day, and the more you can remain optimistic when things aren't so good, not saying that your life is going to be positive all the time, being optimistic that you'll get through it, I think you'll win, right? We've all had that moment growing up where we played slug bug with our friends, where you see a beetle and you, you hit them on the arm. And all of a sudden you plant that seed in your mind. Oh, if I see a beetle, I'm going to get punched or I'm going to be able to punch someone. And, and all of a sudden you start seeing Volkswagen beetles everywhere. You are constantly training your mind to focus on things, whether you like it or not. And by having a practice in the morning and the evening to train my mind to focus on the positive and not dwell on the negative, I keep that negative momentum from dragging me down to places that I know I don't want to be. And it's easy to be grateful when you have everything. It's tougher to be grateful when things aren't going your way. But imagine with that example, so you break your diet. You don't get to the gym that day, but you end the day saying, you know what? I'm grateful that I got five squats in before bedtime. I'm grateful that I did at least a walk around the block with the dog, even though I didn't get to the gym. So you're focusing on what am I grateful for? You wake up the next day saying today is going to be awesome. You're much more likely to go to the gym versus tearing yourself down. Wow, I didn't get to the gym. I can't believe I had that extra donut at lunch. Man, I'm such a failure. And then you wake up in the morning, you're like, well, I'm just going to have donuts again because I failed yesterday. And that failure stretches on weeks, months, years. And that practice is something that every single one of us could do because it doesn't take hours of your day. I'm not saying you've got to run a marathon every day. I'm not saying you have to go approach the most difficult person to talk to at work and have a conflict. You don't have to do such hard things if you have a daily practice of reorienting your mind and your reticular activating system to focus on the positives in your life. You're so right. Because I think if we, what, where our energy goes, our mind flows, right? And our behavior starts to become a reflection of how we think, how the thoughts that go through our mind, what we, we tend to put our focus on. So if you're focusing on the weight that you haven't lost. If you're focusing on all the bad conversations you've had, if you're focusing on the fact that you didn't go to the gym, you're going to be pretty pissed off. I mean, I, if I focus on all the bad stuff in my life all the time, I'd be one depressed, pissed off, angry dude. Yeah. But if I, you spend time and you learn through experience and through paying attention to what successful people do, which by the way, just a little side note, it's funny. So many people, they want to be successful. They want to, to have what X, Y, and Z person has, but they don't want to do what they do. Right. And I think in order to be that person or to get to that level, you got to be willing to make the sacrifices to get up an hour earlier, to go to bed an, an hour earlier, to stay off your phone a good bit of the day so you can focus on what's meaningful in your life. And a lot of people won't do that. But with the people who do do that, they see incremental success that leads to something bigger. And, and so getting back to what I was saying uh, a moment ago, when you focus on things you don't have and everything that's going wrong, you're going to be upset. But if you focus on the positives that you do have in your life, you surround yourself with people that bring the best out in you. You're able to win that dance between faith and fear and being like, you know what? Like, I do not like where things are in my life right now. Things are dark. I can't see what's in front of me. Things are incredibly negative around me, but 
I'm confident that if I continue to do the things that I know I should be doing every single day, that I will eventually, not right away, and you might not know that timetable, get out of this darkness and into the light. Because I believe, and I've had this conversation with a friend, that discipline creates stability. When you are disciplined every single day, you're more stable because it's like second nature for you to go for a walk in the morning. It's second nature for you to have that call with your buddy or your mentor. It's second nature for you to eat well because you've already created those habits in your mind. And one of the things that I always tell people, especially as a trainer, when they're doing all those right things, they're drinking the water, they're eating right, they're moving their body and the scale doesn't move that one week that I'm like, okay, the scale is not moving. So com- completely quitting is, is not going to, you're, you're guaranteeing yourself not to reach that goal, right? Quitting yeah. is you're guaranteeing that you're going to feel like crap about yourself. Quitting is you're going to potentially be more at risk for health issues. So what do you want? Would you rather quit and just that's where that gets you? Or it's, this is hard too. It's hard when the scale is not moving, but it's also hard to make you want more adjustments in your routine that you can maybe tweak some things, being patient, knowing that things are going to work out like towards the end. And, and I think one of the things that's really fascinating about what you said is you're in a competitive space now where you started the podcast, you said, what, almost 15 years ago, nobody was really podcasting. And today, I don't know the number. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts, at least. I think, I don't know. That's just a random guess. And we're in a time where the level of success in your show a lot of times is measured by downloads or the charts or who you have on your show or what kind of things you cover. So how do you, like, what kind of things do you do? Like when that kind of things, I know you touched on a little bit that maybe sometimes the downloads aren't as high as you thought, or you didn't get the coaching sales you thought you would get. Like, what are some of the things that you do when those things happen that can kind of like right away keep you and uh, your co-hosts like in line with what your vision is for the show? Yeah, this is something that for me, we went through earlier this year. So obviously with a podcast, you have a number of people who listen on their commute. And all of a sudden we went to work from home, lockdown, people aren't commuting. They're not listening to hour long shows as much. So that shook us. And then also what many people don't realize the over 80% of our revenue came from in-person coaching. And in-person coaching events just completely paused this year. And it was a mad scramble for us to pivot and, and try to figure out how to save our own business this year. And in that, it was very easy for me to go to a space of, woe is me, this sucks, this is awful, get frustrated, get upset, get angry. And what I ended up doing that honestly helped tremendously was I just started reaching out to my friends and just checking in on them. And not putting the focus on me and all the difficulty that I was facing. In fact, not even talking about all that difficulty, but checking with my friends. How is your business going? How's life on the East Coast? How's everything going with your family? And having conversations where I was present for them instead of present for my inner critic allowed me to get fired up and hear from my friends who were doing amazing things, who were figuring out how to pivot. And all of a sudden, new pathways started to align. And we launched a virtual coaching program, an X-Factor Accelerator which now you don't have to get on a plane to work with me or Johnny. So for those reasons, I love being in service of others in those moments of doubt. And they happen from time to time. The downloads aren't there. Then I jump on a coaching call and I'm of service to the clients who are showing up, the clients who do want more out of their life. And I'm not worried about 
the day-to-day minutia of the numbers or a negative review or someone not liking what we put out online. And it, of course, it's going to happen. Anytime you're creating, anytime you're putting your heart and soul into things, mm-hmm. you want it to succeed. You want more people to hear. You want more people to come on the show. But I found that when I'm in service of others, my inner critic is silent. I don't have time for it. I don't give it space. So if you're really feeling beat up as we're ending this year, we're starting next year, and you're feeling like, wow, I've had so many setbacks, I would challenge you to pick up the phone and reach out to the people in your life that you care about and not look for advice or not look to dump all of your worries on them, but just look to be present and and soak up their worries, their concerns. What are they going through in their life? And it will create new opportunities, not only for connection, but for you to see pathways and things to be grateful for or things you didn't even realize were right in front of your nose because you were so beholden to that inner critic. Spot on. And I think it's no coincidence that I'm not, I mean, I'm not a guy who got sober in the AA or NA community, but from what I understand, one of the 12 steps is being of service to someone else because A, it shifts, like you said, the perspective of on what's, what's wrong with me to being like, how can I serve him? How can I serve her? How can I serve them? And it puts you into a different state of mind. And I think the, the thing that it also does is it, it shifts your perspective in another way that you're going from a, a moment of being stressed to being blessed to being like, you know what? I'm so blessed that I have these things in my life that I have a show that's getting a couple million downloads a month that I have a show where I've been able to interview people like the late Kobe Bryant and have amazing conversations with so many people. How can I leverage everything I've learned in a lot of the downtimes that I've gone through to help somebody else and bring my energy to them? And then I think it's a domino effect because then they're going to be like, wow, so-and-so reached out to me, even though like I heard from someone else that they're really struggling and he took the time or he, she took the time to actually check in on me. Maybe I should do the same. And then it's like that, that old adage where one candle can't light a room, but one candle can light another candle, another candle, another candle. And sure enough, you take in one candle and a hundred other candles and the room this dark room is bright as heck, Right. And, and I think if people can be more mindful of that, as they're going through their day, when they're hitting times where they're not feeling so great, and they're just like, all right, well, who can I pick up the phone? And not just so much to vent, because when you're venting, it's negative energy. But who can I, who can I serve? Who can I breathe some light into? And then you're shifting that energy into something more meaningful and optimistic. So I want to pivot a little bit into the uh, the space of conversation, connection, relationship, because we're at a time right now where everybody is on their phones all day, every day, dating apps, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. And I feel there's a lot of people who have lost the ability to cultivate and develop deep, meaningful relationships. Because while apps can be great for getting us from point A to point B or for checking the stock market or figuring out what our friends might be up to in a certain day, there's no app to teach you how to have an in-person relationship that you can actually just do without experiencing something in person. Like even if you teach an online course on relationships, you still have to meet someone in in person to put that into action. So what are a couple of things that you believe people can do that are non-negotiables to be able to cultivate a deep, meaningful in-person relationship with someone in 2000, as we're entering 2021? Yeah. Well, certainly 
this year has had its challenges around in-person anything. Yeah. And we're all going through different levels of risk tolerance and, of course, government lockdowns and what is safe and, sa- and not safe to do. But what I will say that, just as you said, the problem that we've seen that's arisen with apps is it's made the, the least meaningful form of communication the easiest, like a comment, a tag on social or on these apps. And it's not an easy way for us to actually show someone we care, but it's mm-hmm. default in all of these services. So come birthdays, it's very easy to write on someone's Facebook wall. It's very easy to write a comment on their Instagram. What many of us aren't doing is we're not picking up the phone and using it what it's actually for, to have a real meaningful conversation with people in our lives. So the challenge that I give to all of our clients is just reach out to one person in your phone every single day. I call it the three swipe rule. You basically open up your phone, you go to your text messages and you swipe up three times and you're going to get to that place in your text messages where you haven't talked to that person in a while but they're in your phone. They were meaningful to you. They're a relationship that you have and still have in order to maintain and to grow it and to deepen it in this time, a phone call goes a long way. And even if you just leave a voicemail that I was thinking of you, saw your name pop up on my phone, I just want to see how you're doing. If that becomes a daily practice, you are now creating space for these people who've all gone through what 2020 has thrown at them on their own to realize like, wow, AJ cares about me. Doug cares about me. I'm going to make sure that I reach back out to them and that I'm investing in this relationship too. And we talk about giving value. We define value as attention, appreciation, and acceptance. Well, we all are on social media and these apps for the first. We're all there because we crave attention. As humans, we want to be seen. We want to be heard. So many of us like to use the apps to substitute for giving value. Oh, I'll comment or I'll like, and I'll give that person attention. But we're not doing the second, which is appreciate, and we're not doing the third, which is accept. Appreciate is actually telling them what you love about them, why you love having them in your life, why you really enjoy that relationship that that person has brought to your life. And acceptance is actually inviting them to participate in your life, inviting them to a Zoom hangout, maybe a poker night over Zoom, or if it's safe, to actually hang out in person. And being someone who's constantly using the acceptance piece by inviting people into your life, you're going to build and foster relationships far faster than anyone else who's just focusing on that first level of just giving attention on the apps, just doing the bare minimum of acknowledging the people in my life. Those practices of picking up the phone and inviting people into your life are the practices that build and develop and foster deeper relationships. And we're all yearning for them. We're all looking for more of them as we've become more disconnected this year. And those who are taking the time and the effort every single day to reach out to those people in your life are building and fostering the relationships that you can count on. You're so right. And this goes for anything personally or professionally. And we live in a time where you're right. We are disconnected just by way of the way our society has grown and because of the year of 2020. And you, you can see why there's been so much like addictions gone up, suicides gone up, alcohol, sales have skyrocketed, mental health issues have obviously been on the rise. It's because people crave connection. And it's not connection through liking a post on social media or commenting. It's through being in person, like actually having like intimate 
conversations with people, like whether they're at a networking event or whether they're at a party or whether they're at, out for coffee or on a date or whatever the case may be. People want that. And in a time where people are like, you call somebody on their birthday and they're like, well, why didn't you write on my wall? It's like, we got to flip it, right? We have to yeah. change that narrative and say, like, wow, like I'm really thankful for the people that actually called me, not because I had 300 people that I haven't spoken to in years right on my Facebook wall. But again, it's those the dopamine hits that we're constantly given when someone's writing on our wall or liking something that we get addicted to that feeling, want more of it, right? It, you feel a lot better when you're in that state of mind, when you have 400 people like a photo than you do if you have four people call you, when really it should be the opposite. Wouldn't you rather have four deep, meaningful, intimate relationships that these people would ride or die with you that you could call them if you have a flat tire. You could call them and they would fly out to see you if you were really struggling. You call them if you went through a breakup and they needed, you needed someone to kind of bend an ear, right? But the, what's happened is we've gone the other way and people are so fascinated with how many followers they have, how many likes they get and so on and so forth. And they're wondering why they're struggling with their mental health. They're feeling depressed or struggling with sleep. They're not where they are in life because they've lost touch with what's truly important. So one of the, the, the last things I want to ask you is we talked a bit about, we talked about confidence. We've talked about relationships. One of the big things I think for people, whether they're trying to achieve something personally or professionally is the ability to network networking to find a new relationship that's romantically networking to find a new professional relationship. Maybe it's networking to get on a podcast, to get a job, whatever it is. And I think the year of, in the years to come, there's going to be a lot more people that are going to want to get out at some of these events. There's going to be a lot more people that want to get out and date in person. So is there any advice you give to people when approaching someone at an event, at a seminar, maybe you're asking a guy or a girl out in a store, like with body language, something you say, is there something you don't say to kind of get that person to be more engaged with you? Absolutely. And it's something that I think we all will probably need more practice with as we've been locked away at home and unable to socialize as much in person as we would like. We have a pretty simple formula when it comes to striking up conversations with anyone, whether it's romantic, professional, in a networking environment, or even social. And the key ingredient in this formula is curiosity, genuine curiosity. Mm -hmm. Many of us think we need the best pitch and we need to talk about ourselves. And we need to be the most interesting person in the room to win people over. And the science actually shows the opposite, that we don't actually become interesting to others until we express interest in them. And the easiest way to express interest in someone is to ask them a question. Now, the problem is that many people have heard this advice and they go, oh, I just got to ask a lot of questions. I got to ask a lot of questions. And of course, if you've ever been on the receiving end of a lot of questions, it's annoying. It's not a real conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's an interview. It feels awkward. Yeah. So our conversation formula starts with a question. You have to listen to their answer. So it goes question plus their answer equals statement. And this is where many of us screw it up, myself included, especially as an introvert. I always felt I didn't have anything interesting to add. I didn't have anything I wanted to share. So it was just easier for me to ask questions and pull information from others. But if I'm not listening and I'm not utilizing anything that they're giving me in my answer, then of course, they're going to feel that I'm not actually interested. So your statement is so important. You buffer every question with the statement. So if you ask, hey, what are you drinking? Or how'd you find out about this event? We have to listen to their answer and then we have to relate to that. Oh, I'm not a big drinker. I actually am really trying to stay healthy this year and losing some weight. So I was looking for the juice. 
that's much better than saying, oh, well, what type of drink is that? Or asking another quick follow-up question. It discloses something about yourself that powers that conversation. Mm -hmm. So the next time you see someone you're interested in, approach them with curiosity, ask them a question, listen to their answer. And we don't have enough time for it here, but there's truly five levels to listening. So listening is the most important skill if you want to develop social skills to focus on. And then relate to them in the form of a statement. Even if that statement is, I'm not into rock and roll, or oh, I've never had that drink, or I've never traveled to that place, that's still an impactful statement that powers conversation in our conversation formula because that self-disclosure allows the other person to start making connections about you and allows the conversation to flow from there. If all we're doing is asking questions or we're not sharing anything, the other person feels put on the spot. But questions are a great way to strike up those conversations with people. And there's one other thing that I, I want to share that as a content creator and, and someone who, who speaks and, and goes to events, I see time and time again is, is people run into someone that they're really, they admire, they look up to, or they, they think is so incredible in their life. And they, they go, oh, what can I say to that person? How can I really stand out? The simplest way is to, to approach with gratitude and appreciation and share with them what about their content, what about their career, what do you really love, what, what makes them aspirational. And complimenting people from a genuine place goes a long way towards letting that person know. And, and we did this the very first time we met Tim Ferriss a decade ago, trying to get him on the show. We met him in person, and we gave him a genuine compliment about a piece of content that he shared with us that actually helped us grow the podcast. And that stuck in our ability then to follow back up with him and create a relationship and ultimately get them on the show. So there's always going to be opportunities to meet people who are ahead of you, who have more in life, who are more successful. Use those opportunities to genuinely appreciate them and it'll open so many doors for you, whether it's getting them on your show, getting them in your life, landing an internship, or just learning from them. And so many of these people that we look up to, they don't hear those compliments as much as you would think. It goes a long way towards letting them feel valued for all the hard work that they put into creating, inspiring, and sharing with us. Yeah, you hear a lot of people who just want things from, from people that they admire or look up to, or they want to be seen. Like, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Like, read my book. Do this. Do that. And what they don't realize is you really, I th and I know Gary Vee talks a lot about this too, is you really have to think about, well, what value can you add to their life? Like, if it's really somebody who has notoriety or somebody who has influence, who's really successful, it's like, okay, well, what's in it for them? Like, what, how can you prove to them that you can be an asset in their life? And it's not to be said that people won't just do things out of the kindness of their heart because they will, but don't expect that right away. And especially if you have no formal relationship with that person at all, and you have no value, so to speak, that could really help them be patient have that uh, general introduction and then maybe figure out like what kind of things do they like? What are their hobbies? Send them something. Are they into baseball? Send them a book about the history of baseball that you think would be meaningful. Are they into cooking? Send them a popular cookbook, whatever it is to show that you're different. Right. And it sounds kind of corny because you're like, well, why are they going to care about a $20 book? They could have bought that themselves. Like it's not the point. The point is that you actually took the time to think and go more in depth about what they liked, that it's the thought that counts. And if you hear that, you've heard that a lot, and it's true. It's the thought that literally counts. It truly is. A $5 gift for somebody you want to get in contact with is going to go a lot further 
than you giving them five compliments in an awkward way right away and then trying to sell them on doing something for you, right? Okay. Play the long game. And I've had to learn. It's, and it's not easy when we, we live in a world where things are in front of us right away. You're seeing people surrounded by certain people. You're seeing people on different podcasts. You're seeing people with different cars, different levels of income. But that's why, like I said at the beginning, we talked about this, staying focused on you your lane, doing the necessary things daily, it will add up into um, you cultivating and developing purpose and having a meaningful life. So I've really gotten a lot of value just out of our conversation here, just, and I know my listeners will as well, but just about the ability to have, how to have these conversations, how to build these relationships, things that you can do within yourself. The last question I want to ask you is that over the years you've had some of the most amazing people on your show and many that, I mean, there's a lot of people that will probably likely never have a conversation with these people. If there was like maybe like one or two of the top lessons you learned from someone, like who was it and what was the lesson? Well, the pattern that I can tell you across all successful people that we've interviewed is that they prune their mental headspace. And when I say prune their mental headspace, I mean, they look at what relationships bring to their mental headspace, what their habits bring to their mental headspace, what their diet, every, every piece of their life is oriented around, is this going to empower me mentally? Is this going to make me stronger, faster, smarter, gain an edge? And if not, if it's a negative influence, if it's taking away from that, they remove it from their life. And I've brought that same perspective to my closest relationships and my friends. And I've, I've lost some friends over the years because they've brought a negative perspective or they look to tear me down or they, they compare themselves or compare me to others too much. And this, this is a pattern that we've seen in so many guests that who you surround yourself with and the intentionality of your habits, your lifestyle is what unlocks these extraordinary levels of success that we look up to. And it's daily practices. It's looking at refining what those influences are in your life so that you can be at your best. And I've heard that time and time again from all of the guests that we look up to. The other piece that I will say has really resonated with me of late is tapping into that deeper why, that purpose, that legacy. It's so easy to get caught up, as you said, in the here and now, the numbers and the comparison and what's going on. And not many of us really think about where do we want that legacy to be 20, 30 years from now? And how do we want to be remembered? And if you could orient your life and your decisions and your habits around that and understand the marathon that we're in, not the sprint, you'll get a lot further with a lot less baggage. And those are the two most important things, the intentionality around everything you bring into your life, and then tapping into your deeper why. And in those moments that I've had of self-doubt, that deeper why has come from checking in on the clients that we've helped over the years and the impact it's had on their life and realizing that no matter what hardship we're facing, no matter what setbacks the Art of Charm is facing, we have made a difference in people's lives. And that's really empowering. Mm, amazing, man. It's, it's so insightful. And I think you're right. Inner circle is everything. And it's something I talk a lot about, like your friends are either lifting you up or they're tearing you down. And it sounds kind of abnormal to some people. They're like, well, what do you mean? Like you're your own person. But no, if, if you're around five people that are constantly tearing each other down, they're focusing on what they can take from the world. They're complaining all the time. They're saying, what was me? Then you're going to become that person. We are a creature of our environment. Think about it. Like it's just how we've evolved as human species. 
And the flip side can happen. If you're around five, 10 people that are doing some amazing things, they're looking to change the world, they're health conscious, they're optimistic when times are tough, you're going to become that person. That's going to be your new normal. Our environments create a false sense of normalcy. I say it time and time again. If you're around a bunch of people that are negative, you're going to think that's normal to be negative. That's going to be your normal. But if you're around the flip side and you're around people that are achievers or doing great things, not that they're perfect, but they are just constantly kicking the ball further down the court, looking to achieve that next thing to feel better, you'll become that same person. So what's next for you? Like, where can people find out more about what you have going on? I know you mentioned the X Factor coaching program, obviously the Art of Charm. I will I'll link all the links to that in the show notes, but what's next and where can people find out more about you? Yeah, I, I want to follow up on that piece of advice because this this idea of, well, I can't cut these people out of my life often leads to us keeping negative people in our lives, which is why I've dedicated to myself and the show and the coaching programs to help you build better relationships with people who positively impact your life. So if you're sitting there saying, I'm surrounded by negative people, but AJ, Doug, I'm afraid of letting go. I'm afraid of cutting these people out of my life because I will have no one. The Art of Charm is here to support you in building new, incredible relationships. The easiest place to start is the podcast. It's obviously available where you found this great podcast with us chatting. And we go deep in our toolbox episodes around all of these social skills that we're talking about, first impressions, conversations, building real relationships, business networking, and ultimately confidence. And then if you want more in-depth training and all the, the decade plus experience that I bring to the table and our team brings to the table, the X Factor Accelerator is our year-long mentorship program. And essentially we meet every week and it's like a social skills dojo where you get an opportunity to practice all these skills, meet new people who are joining each and every week. And it's created a really supportive network of high achievers who are looking for more out of their relationships in life. So you can find more about that at theartofcharm.com as well. Thank you so much for having me on. I I really appreciate the opportunity sharing all these great stories and, and tips with your audience. And I enjoyed our conversation. I know we've had a lot of similarities in in our background and upbringing, and I love the positive message you're bringing to your audience every week. It feels mutual, man, and I I appreciate that. And I don't know about you, but I always, one of the reasons I started the podcast, obviously the main reason is to help people, help the people that are listening to this. But a byproduct of all this is I learn from all of my guests. They challenge my perspective in some way, and I'm sure you pick up on that as well. And it fascinates me that when you can really open your heart, open your ears and be more uh, prepared to listen during the conversations and not just talk and just ask staged questions and really pay attention to what that person's saying, you pick up on certain things like, oh, like, like that's right. I, I like the way he put that or I like that tip on the, the morning routine. I'm going to implement that. And not in a selfish way, but it's just it, again, it just goes back to like, you, like AJ said, like focusing on listening. And not just following up with a question, like regurgitating back in a way, if you will, what he said and reflecting on a point that was made. And again, that's how you keep a dialogue going. For the, so for those who are listening to this that are looking to start a podcast or you're looking to have better conversations, that's the way to do it. And I, you think that when you're doing it, you stress out and you're going to get all these questions prepared. You're like, what am I going to ask this person? But really, you're just having a conversation. And sure, there's, you want to do your homework. You don't want to not know who this person is. But it takes practice. And your first episode, the first time you have a conversation with someone you're trying to ask out might not be as smooth as the hundredth one, but you're not going to get to the hundredth one unless you have the first one. Exactly. And that's, I think, an important uh, 
place for us to, to stop. So man, I, I thoroughly, once again, thank you for coming on. And for those listening to this, like there was a lot of tangible tactical tips on confidence. We all struggle with confidence. Every single one of us has moments in our lives where we're feeling less confident than we should. And doing these tips that AJ provided, as well as some of the thoughts he shared from his own journey, his own background, and what we can do during tough times to feel better about ourselves so that we don't fall so deep into a rut that we look back two, three, four, five weeks from now and be like, what the heck happened? Oh, I had a bad hour that turned into this, and this is why I'm here. So I think he would appreciate, and I would appreciate if you just shared, maybe it was a confidence tip that he shared. Maybe it was a part of his journey. Maybe it was something you related to with something he said about the way he grew up. And just tag us, share it, and screenshot the episode with maybe a, a big takeaway or something you related to. Give the Art of Charm a follow. Listen to their show. They bring some amazing guests on the show and content to the table. And I once again, deeply thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes. We'll see you next time.